revolutionize your recruitment strategy with AIMHR Solutions. Headquartered in the heart of Massachusetts, our dynamic team offers cutting-edge recruiting services tailored to meet the needs of HR professionals anywhere. Say goodbye to the endless cycle of candidate searches. Let our seasoned experts streamline the process for you. With a deep understanding of industry trends and a vast network, we're here to connect you with top-tier talent. Explore the possibilities of our recruitment services at aimhrsolutions.com. The Chris Rock, Will Smith Oscar incident from the March Oscars presentation put violence in the public eye. Incidents of workplace violence deserve all that attention and more. According to the National Safety Council, workplace assaults resulted in 20,050 injuries and illnesses involving days away from work and 392 fatalities in 2020 alone. So what happens if an incident occurs in your workplace? Today, Tom Jones, our very own attorney specializing in labor and employment matters, and Jen Moff, our VP of training, join me to talk about workplace violence and how you can help an employee who has been involved in an incident at home or in the workplace. Welcome, Tom. Welcome back to the show. Thank you, Pete. Uh, It's good to see you, sir. And Jen, welcome to the show. First time. Thank you. Longtime listener, first time caller. <laughs> this is uh, this is a uh, this is a serious topic. Uh, talking about uh, violence in the workplace, and um, uh, it, it is we know from the numbers alone that these this is a thing that everybody struggles with. And one of the uh, I think interesting notes that I perspective setting notes that I hadn't thought about is just remember. Nearly every place is someone else's workplace. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Violence can happen anywhere. So let's start with a a, a, a bit of a, a plate setting, shall we? Like, what is violence in the workplace? In, in terms of the, uh, shall I say, legal definition, Tom? Is that a fair way to, to talk about it? Is there such a thing as a legal definition of violence in the workplace? I suspect somebody like OSHA has created one over the years. OSHA is the Occupational Safety and Health Administration, which is the federal government agency that focuses, mission is to keep a safe, healthy workplace. So the, they would be the people who might investigate those claim, those issues that you just talked about, those cases where there was violence in the workplace or it, death in the workplace. That would be one of their missions. They define it pretty clearly as an act, any act of threat or physical violence, harassment, intimidation, or other threatening disruptive behavior that occurs at the work site. So that could be verbal, it could be physical, it could be um, psychological, it could be any number of things that make say, make someone feel unsecure or unsafe in the workplace. What do you What do you see in your role when you let's Let's talk about uh, you know your own experience. Have you ever experienced a, a a situation of violence in the workplace yourself? Not that I could recall right now. I mean, I could, years and years ago, I had a summer job when I was in college working at the airport, and um, we put baggage on the planes and things like that. And so I was talking with some of the older guys about different things, and I, was, I, I really loved it. I like, had a great job. I loved airplanes. I was really happy doing this job. And this guy was really reading me a bit of the riot act about what I could not couldn't do during the course of the workday, where I shouldn't go, what I shouldn't, who I shouldn't talk to. And I thought, it was, I don't know if it was a threat or just a sort of statement of saying, you know, this is, but I never. I treated it maybe as a little bit more cavalierly than I would nowadays. 
But at the time, this was back in the late 70s, early 80s. I didn't really think too, too much about it. But I, but I certainly felt warned off from doing anything. Yeah. Jen, what do you, what do you got in your, uh, in your back pocket? Do you have any stories? My personal experience with violence in the workplace, the, the story that comes to mind is actually an employee that I had. Mm-hmm. I used to work for, um, or work in the retail space and, uh, brick and mortar, um, an AT&T franchise. And I had an employee that started having a individual show up while we were at the job and throw things at the front door, throw things at the glass, and they would have to hide out in the back. And I, you know, it started happening more and more frequently. And I kept, you know, going like, we're, we're going to have to have a conversation mm-hmm. about this. Mm-hmm. So uh, I did. I pulled him aside and said, you know, you, you got to tell me what's going on here because this is not a one-off. This is a pattern of behavior. And I, I have to protect the store, but I also want to protect you. So, you know, what I ended up doing at the time was just calling the local police line, not like 911, but asking for, for them to do kind of a, a safety check or a, a, just a drive-by periodically. And, and they did that frequently, and it actually deterred the individual from coming back and harassing um, my employee while he was at work. I, I, I wonder, I don't have the specific uh, stats about the, the breakdown of, of types of workplace violence and intimidation, but that is that mirrors directly uh, my own story. It was a, the, a, a former boyfriend of a seasonal employee uh, at, mm-hmm. a, at a tourist uh, place in one of my early careers. And she, he was a massive oak of a man, a, a former football player, and came and was just mm-hmm. devastated that she had broken up with him and started tormenting other staff members. And And it was an outdoor ev- environment, so there was no protective space uh, for these people. Yeah. And uh, it was just a, a threatening, horrible situation for many weeks uh, be- leading up to restraining orders and, and things like that, but very difficult to track down. So, you know, I, I think all of these experiences, while not the worst of the worst, that we've heard about on the news, certainly not the Academy Awards stage slap. Uh, but they do beg the question, what does HR need to consider to effectively and efficiently deal with these kinds of scenarios? Who wants to start? Not it. I, I will defer to Tom <laughs> first. <laughs> so, well, I mean, you can see a number of different issues. And Jen, feel free to jump in as I, as I go to supplement. One of them, obviously, is to have queer policies about to- intolerance for violence in the workplace, no tolerance for violence in the workplace. Another would be to make sure that people know what to do if and when they see it or experience it. Who do they call? Who do they respond to? How do they get resources that might be available for them? But to make crystal clear that um, you know there are resources within the company. One thing we've seen a lot of companies do would be put notifications in um, places like the bathroom. Because one of the things people feel uncomfortable about is doing this in front of everybody. You know, you go to the bulletin board and stand there and look for the, what's this information about that? People are like, oh, gee, what is going on with him or her? So if you do it in the bathroom, it can be quiet. It can be, you know, somewhat uh, secretive in the sense that people can go get the information. And you also want to check out if you offer something like an employee assistance program to help your employees, what is that? Is that EAP any good? Have you ever called it? Have you ever used it? Are they going to be qualified to respond to violence? And, you know, look for different patterns of quality of the response. You know, are they, do they look like they're going to be helpful? But I also think if there's a serious pattern of violence going on in your workplace, or you're concerned about it, would be to bring out some sort of, bring in some, some sort of outside resource and say, we need to 
maybe educate our workers better about you know how do they respond, how can they cope with violence, what resources might be out there to help them cope with that violence, be it psychological resources or just family support resources or um, what and maybe something in the workplace, like bullying is going on in the workplace and, uh, you know, whereas discrimination and harassment are clearly illegal, bullying is not illegal in most workplaces. And it might be in the public schools, but not in the workplaces. But what does a company do when they feel someone's being bullied? How do they, re- what type of response can they give that person to help them overcome the um, stress of that situation? There's two things that you said, Tom, that I really liked. One was you were talking about having, you know, all of these options for people. And one of the kind of core things there is the communicating of those options, making that information readily available. How do we communicate these things? What processes and systems do we have in place so that people know where to go or to go somewhere or how that information is regularly um, made available? It's, it's not that you're marketing these offers and these these programs, but People forget things very easily. We've got so much we're juggling. So how how to make that information front of mind and have it stick in your brain? Uh, the second thing that you mentioned was the EAP. You actually taught me what that was. I had never heard of that, um, and I don't I don't know if anybody listening right now isn't familiar with the term. But Tom, would you mind explaining a little bit more about that, just in case? Sure, it's an employee assistance program. Typically, they are. Um unaffiliated with companies. They might, they might be affiliated with your health insurance carrier, but there'll be a, a resource base for people going through stress, but it could be stress related on a divorce, violence, financial problems, kind of all those, all of which might contribute to violence, frankly, in this stressful situation. So they're supposed to be a, a good resource for counseling, therapy, psychological resources, when we talked about that for the first time, Tom, you asked me if I had a, if I was even familiar with it, and I said no. It would have been amazing for some some of the experiences that I've had in uh, the workplace. But um, yeah, I think that's definitely an opportunity for a lot of companies to implement. I feel like there are there are a couple of things that that are lingering in the back of my mind here, and and one is a training development uh, uh, issue when we talk about incidents of violence, whether it is uh, you know uh, the bullying or a, a more dramatic uh, you know instance of violence. What is your perspective on best preparing your staff for being able to? experience those things. We don't know when they're coming. We don't, It's like a fire drill, right? Like, I, I don't think people are aware of what they need to do if something like this happens. How do you prepare folks for this eventuality while helping them feel safe? Oh, that's a fantastic question. In my opinion, this this is like if we zoom way out, like mm-hmm. the bird's eye view, these are kind of life skills things that we're never taught as human beings. It's right. not part of a school program. It's not any kind of extracurricular activity. You know, there's nothing built to formally help people help themselves. It's it's something that we rely on learning through experience. And so to have formalization of education and training and development in these areas is something that I'm really passionate about. Um, the mental and emotional health is a direct contributor, in my personal opinion. I imagine Tom would have some thoughts here on 
that being kind of a foundation or a, a seed that is planted that creates and births the violence, whatever that is, and also defining what is violence, you know, just like um, domestic violence, you know, it can be psychological, it can be emotional, it can be financial, it can be so many things aside from just laying hands upon another person. So, Having opportunities in the workplace to educate on mental and emotional health, I think, is essential. Um, having opportunities for your employees to partake in conversations about these things in a in an environment that allows for an open dialogue, perhaps a roundtable discussion or an ask me anything from experts, but prioritizing it as part of a holistic training program because you are looking at people as more than just um, a screw, a cog, a bolt in this machine. It's, you know, a very outdated, in my opinion, idea of how a business works. And we, we can't build a solid um, organization in the way that we, we once thought we could. So looking at people holistically and providing for them from so many different vantage points is really going to be essential in their success and the company's success. Well, and I think uh, and I'll turn to you, Tom. I uh, I have this experience with a local uh, U.S. Postal Service facility um, that is a distribution facility. And some years ago, I'm going to say it's 10 years ago, uh, a former principal at our local high school moved over there to take over managing this for this office and wanted to institute active shooter training because that's exactly the kind of thing they do in high schools, right? Lockdown drills, active shooter trainings. They're training kids how to handle these kinds of things. Now, at the time, uh, he was told, you can't do that. You can't institute active shooter training at this federal office. And my understanding was they didn't have any idea how to do it at the time. I don't know if they do these kinds of trainings at, at this point at all. I don't want to speak to that. But I'm curious what are if there are limitations to the kinds of things you can and should do to train for the worst of the worst. We train for fire drills. Should we not be training for some of these things? I think the answer to that is definitely yes. The empathetic to your point, Pete, that every workplace is different. Picking up what Jen said, you know, every situation is going to be different. And so you need something probably tailored to what that workplace is. Some workplaces are more um, sort of open. Other ones are more cubicle-based. Other ones are just remote, whatever it might be. Others, every work situation is a little differently. Maybe a good place to start might be talk to your workers' comp carrier because their job is to help keep a safe workplace. And some of them will do training. They can come out and presumably they know who they're insuring. They can tailor it a little better to that type of workplace. And to um, the, the OSHA, it's funny what you said about the post office because OSHA, which is the other federal agency, does this training that's called hide, run, and fight. Yes. So the first thing, if there's this violence in the workplace, you hide, if you can do that. The second thing is run, if you can get away from the person. The last uh, possible option is fight. You know, you're not some hero out there fighting this. This is the goal is to save lives, to get people away from it. And so some companies I know have been active in doing training like that. Another thing is, I think, learning from other experiences. When I first came to AIM 20 years ago, was right around the time of the, um, it was called Edgewater shooting. This guy came into work one Christmas day, um, and the day after Christmas, he'd brought guns in the day before. He was angry that the government was taking his, um, with withholding some of his income for tax purposes. And he shot 
seven co-workers. And I remember seeing this, the chief of police for that town later give a speech in which he said, one of the problems for us was that we didn't know anything about the company. We got a phone call that said, come out here in a hurry. We did, but we didn't know which door to go in. We didn't know if we were going to walk into a shooter, if we were going to you know, walk into some other situation we shouldn't have. And so we didn't know anything about it. So I've always encouraged companies to build a relationship with the local police if they can. That might have a community relations officer or somebody so that if and when some crisis occurs, it's violence, and they need the police there, the police know what the company's like. You know, what doors there are, what exits there are, where where the facilities are within the organization. So they might be able to help respond a little quicker. I'd wonder, Tom, if there are companies out there that specialize in that today, because Probably uh, are. I can, are there? I would think so. I would think there must be consulting firms that, sorry to cut you off, but I mean, I would think there must be some consulting firms that do it. But the workers' comp one I thought about, because you're already paying for the comp premium. Right, I think right. that's a so great at least point. It's a starting point. Mm-hmm. to try and get some information. Well, there, there is this this other side, again, from an HR perspective of, and I, I think, Jen, you already alluded to it, which was if, if there is an incident of violence at home that is then by virtue of the fact that you have an employee coming to work, um, what are the resources, of, you know, and, and sorts of considerations that you as an HR professional should be aware of and need to think about in terms of supporting, um, you know, your team members when they experience violence at home. Yeah, this is something I can I can speak to personally. Um, back when I was working in, in that same industry that I mentioned previously, uh, I was in a relationship that was uh, what you would classify as intimate partner violence. This is over a decade ago. I'm very comfortable talking about it because I've done a lot of work um, to to get to this place. But back then, I was not able to talk about it. I didn't tell a soul, let alone the people that I worked with. And quite frankly, I don't know that I would have shared that with my work colleagues at all, um, because a lot of what happens in some of those relationships, you you begin to doubt yourself and you don't trust yourself and you lose parts of yourself. So if you don't trust yourself in decision making, you're not going to trust that you're able to go to an employer. So it might not even be a situation where someone self-discloses, but the employer is picking up on behavior change. Um, and that would be a way to find out. And then maybe there's people that do feel like they're able to disclose at work. Uh, I personally have never been on the receiving end of finding out about something like that. But uh, I'd love to hear from Tom. Like, Tom, you you have so many fantastic stories. Uh, thank you. I'm sorry. Thanks for sharing that too, Jen. Yeah, I appreciate that. It was an eye-opener to hear that. Massachusetts does have a law about domestic violence and what companies are supposed to do when someone comes forward with issues about domestic violence. But that's the sort of um, legal side of it. It's the the empathetic side of it, the human emotion side of it, that's, I think, much more challenging for HR folks and how to deal with it because they're, you know, we've had a few phone calls on the hotline over the years in which people are saying, we're, we're afraid of sticking our foot in the wrong way and not, we're not qualified to help a person like Jen coming forward today with that question. So what do we do? And so one way is to fall back on the legal and say, okay, well, there's this, there's this, there's this, there's this, which is true. And th- those resources do exist and they're helpful and they're they're good. It's, but it's the side of it, learning how to train, that I don't think anyone's trained for, that you're learning how to respond to someone's um, personal plea, personal call for help that is hard to do. And so, you know, the workplace violence, 
that comes from outside of the workplace, I think a lot of these HR folks would feel even less power, mm. uh, less, more impotent because they can't, you know, their you hands feel like they're the, tied. Yeah, you can't. The best you can do is help your coworker, your employee, and you can get a restraining order from the police if you, than the courts if you need one to keep people away. You can make it clear to the company that no stranger should be allowed on the property. Mm. You can lock down doors. You can do all those things, but that's does once he or she leaves the door at five o'clock, you don't know what's going to happen, and you know you can only do so much. You, you want to be supportive, but you don't want to take over people's lives either. And so you're trying to draw that balance between the two of how you can offer a good support. And I don't know. It's hard. It, it's very hard. Yeah. Here, here's a question. Is this, is this something you could make a recommendation on? Uh, I, I don't know. If le- legally, this is not my area of expertise. That's why I defer mm. to you. You are so wise mm. um, and have so much good information. I know that in the, the city and state where I lived at the time, there was like um, – uh, a house that was available for domestic violence uh, survivors and uh, hotlines and things. Are those things that a company is, are those, are those things available for a company to provide like in, ter- in terms of information to direct them to those resources? I'm sure there are. I, I don't think any, com- I don't think many companies formally do that, mm. but I would think there are, there used to be, you know, there was a battered women's coalition in Massachusetts. They probably still exist. Years ago, there was one. There was a counseling service for men who commit acts of violence as well from years gone by called Emerge that may still exist. And so there are some resources out there. I don't know that there's a um, a quality checklist mm-hmm. on how good those things are. So that's one of the, sure. del- just like you were talking earlier about EAPs, you know, I don't know if there's, a, you don't know if this is a good one, a bad one, or what's going to happen when you send refer someone over there to it. Because it may not help, they may not be qualified to help the person, but it's it's a, an area where there's not a lot of resources. The state may have some programs, mm. or the city, you know, some of the cities, the bigger cities like a Boston or Worcester or Springfield mm-hmm. may have some resources. But beyond that, I'm not sure where else you could turn. More than anything, it just highlights the level of responsibility or authority as HR folks you have to take in building up the institutional knowledge around these issues in order to be ready when something happens. 100%. It's not something you go looking for either. You right. put the information out there, then you hope you train your supervisors to respond the proper way when the information comes in because, you know, the person may go to the supervisor first. You want to make sure that, you know, the supervisor knows what to do, which is typically move this to HR as quickly as possible. Yeah. But a lot of HR folks may not, be prepared either. What I think what you really just touched on with the like, we, we never want a blanket statement to anything. Absolutes I, I don't find to be very effective. So, you know, when we think of HR people, we sometimes think of them through these certain lenses that we come to believe that they kind of um, operate as. But one HR person is different from the next. You know, we've seen that in all of the training classes that we've offered for our HR specialists across the state, um, different companies, and, and every one of them has their own personality and what they're comfortable with and how they choose to conduct themselves in the role and with that company that they work with. So there's so much nuance here as well. We do have this, This uh, is there a, a sort of rundown we can offer for uh, resources available if, if 
uh, folks, or should we just plan on maybe we can put some links in the in the show notes? What are the some things they can start they can expect around uh, sick leave, time off, um, you know, those sorts of things? And uh, you know, Tom, your aces at talking about investigations. Uh, is there are there any details we should run down about expectations? Well, I think it's probably easier to gather them after the fact for show notes in general, Pete. I agree with that. But I think you'd certainly want to look at, um, you know, there are different ways. So if, if you ask a lawyer, you're going to get legal responses, right? You ask a social worker, you're going to get social worker. You're going to, and so that's, so it's a good HR person has to have a, a, a range of resources that he or she can turn to and say, okay, well, that, that satisfies one part of the issue, but there's another part of the issue that we're not satisfying yet, which might be the person's emotional needs or the person's, um, you know, financial needs for that matter, or for housing needs, whatever it might be. And so we don't have resources for that. All I can give is legal stuff. So you want to try and, I think, put as wide a mix as possible out there. Of It's almost like you need a concierge service. Yes. That you can call and say, okay, who would who, who would be a clearinghouse for this information? And it, that's what I say. It might, it might even be the state. I don't know. I haven't looked in a while to see what resources they have. I like what you just said, though, about the, you know, not neglecting certain aspects. So, like, there's um, a diagram, if you Google it, like, uh, healthy relationships or respectful relationships, it's a, a circle, and there's um, different kind of spokes along the wheel. And so, when you look at these different areas, uh, and even, like, abusive or, you know, um, other types of relationships that aren't respectful, um, they cover all of those things. Like the, so the financial thing, the emotional thing, the physical thing, the job thing, the social thing. So that might even like, if you're a company that is looking to maybe design something in-house or plan around this, that diagram might be a good place to start to make sure that you're not neglecting all the different facets that can be affected by violence in the workplace or by an individual who's experiencing violence at home. And then Obviously, there's the the blend into the workplace as well. So you don't want to leave out anything, and that would be a great place to start. Great point. We will post links uh, that we can cobble together, hopefully, to get you started in uh, if you have not started building a plan uh, for your own organization. Hopefully, we can post some resources that will help you uh, kickstart this on your end. Not a fantastic uh, conversation to be had anytime, but I sure appreciate both of you, Jen Moff and Tom Jones, for your insights and wisdom. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you, Pete. And thank you, everybody, for downloading and listening to this show. Uh, Again, you can find all of those notes and resources at aimhrsolutions.com. I'm Pete Wright. Until next time, we'll see you back here on Human Solutions, simplifying HR for people who love HR. HR.